to Inside the Recording Studio. Oh, wow, that was long. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me is Mr. Chris Halstrom. And welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio, because I just said that. And let's go, Chris. Say something. You must be a little dizzy after that long intro there, right? Yes, as I was sitting there doing it, I was trying to act like the the gopher from Caddyshack. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of took it a little too long. (laughs) Well, you know, here we are. Now we're ready for another episode. So how's it going? How's your week been? I've been busy, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a fun-filled, well, I don't know if it's fun-filled, but it's definitely a packed-filled week. And it's not... It's music related for the most part, but it's also congressional related. Ooh. I'm meeting with two new congressional members of Congress this week mm-hmm. for the Recording Academy, which is always interesting. It's fun to do that. And yeah, so it's, uh, it's definitely a packed week in terms of things of that nature. You're going to be very official this week. I am. Which is good. Yeah, I am. Good I'm for helping you. other musicians and music creators alike by getting legislation passed to hopefully help us in the future. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? It would, I, and it yeah, has happened in the past. So, it has, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. That something positive will come out of this yes, as sir. well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So should we just dive in? I think we should just dive in. All right, we're going for the deep end already. It's common recording myths. Yeah. And some of these we have sort of tackled before in previous uh, episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you want a little bit more of a deeper thing (laughs) on some of these, just go back and listen to uh, the episode. But one thing that we talked about relatively recently, and this is the first on our list here of myths, and always record at higher sample rates. That was just like two weeks ago, wasn't it? Something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. two or three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so it's fresh in our memory here. Yeah, so yeah. should we? You're a big proponent of 96K. I am. Is it always better to record at higher sample rates? No. No? All right. <laughs> just say that uh, right Point number bat. two. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, so uh, we, we did kind of do a real kind of deeper discussion about it a couple of weeks ago on the uh, sample rate uh, episode that we just put out. But... The funny thing about that is a discussion came up with a fellow producer literally a couple of days ago about Mm -hmm. this. And he has a setup that isn't quite capable of doing 96K. So it gets him kind of clicks and pops, burps and farts, that kind of thing, which tends to happen if your machine isn't quite up to powerful enough to run multiple multiples of tracks at higher sample rates. Would it, does it really make sense to record at that rate? No, technically it doesn't because you really yeah. don't want those clicks and pops. However, he chose a sample rate that we discussed that we were like, nobody records at that sample rate. <laughs> so we got into that little, that little discussion of nobody records at that. And it, I, he started to like question it. And I said, you're the only person I've ever met or know that actually is trying to choose to record at 88.2. And yeah. he wanted to know kind of the theory behind that. And and I get where he's coming from for doing it. And I'd said, you know, if you if you feel inclined, go ahead, do it. I mean, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't. Uh, and I look at it from the standpoint of like, 
for me, the way I'm choosing the sample rate has more to do with what is the end result of the product and what is the archival life of that product. Yeah. Because if it's something that's like kind of toss away music, so to speak, that is done as background, incidental background music in a reality TV show, the archival purposes of that is practically nil. It's like you do it, you throw it out, <laughs> you do it. And they wanted it 48K, which is still higher than 44.1, but it's not 96, it's not 192, it's not 174.4, is that what it is, or something like that? Uh, and it's not 88.2, it's specifically 48K. So yeah, I don't record anything at 44.1 unless it's a request. So mm -hmm. that's something I don't do. But that's um, not a bad sample rate to technically record at. It's just not great also for archival purposes. So, uh, yeah, we we do a big discussion on that a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you want to add any more to that. But that was just an interesting conversation that just kind of popped up. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I get it if it's archival worthy to go higher. Yeah. No, my point of view is that it's, you know, you have to look at – your system, right? Just like we said in that episode. And yeah, if you're no, struggling to, to, to perform at, at a certain sample rate, um, the benefits of doing that are sort of outweighed by all the problems you're having. Yes. So, you know, I think if you are, you know, if you have a system that struggles to do 96, I don't do 96. I, I, I tend to stay at like 48. And I'm like, yeah, never had an issue with anything. And also it's a little bit dependent on what I do. Um, type of music that I do, that uh -huh. type of thing. Um, but uh, is it always better? No, it's not always better. Um, so there we go. That's myth number one. <laughs> yes. Myth yeah. number two. This is one of my favorite argument points, I think, in talking with people that are claiming to be purists about yeah. recording. And yeah, they always love to bring up this specific band when it comes up, and that is The Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, man. The Beatles wouldn't the be have done that, or The Beatles only did this, and it's like, yeah. The Beatles recorded on four track. Mm, yeah. No. But did, <laughs> did they, did they exactly. only use four tracks, though? No. <laughs> you know, no, no. it's... Uh, no, this is another one that, you know, it just drives me up the wall when sure. I hear people say that. Mm -hmm. um, with all the tools that we have today, mm -hmm. you know, to somehow equate that that's bad because the technology didn't exist in 66, mm -hmm. you know, but also completely disregarding that all the boundaries that the Beatles pushed with the technology they had. Sure. You know, and overdub upon overdub upon overdub. Weren't they uh, also know. one of the I think they were one of the very first bands to record a track, if I'm not mistaken, because like they strung several machines together to get extra tracks, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, they, I think that I mean, George Martin like really pushed the envelope with those guys. So Oh yeah. Not only that, it's like when you think about certain things, it's like, oh the Beatles played it and it was pure. And it's like yeah, well, what about the times when they would slow down tape to play things they couldn't play at the tempo they wanted to play them at? So they would slow the tape down in order to be able to perform a particular part 
Of course, that required also retuning an instrument to be sure. tuned to the appropriate whatever tempo the tape was slowed down to so that when it was sped back up, it would be able to be in tune. Be in tune. Yeah. So they, they used tape speed and slowed it down in order to play stuff they couldn't physically play at the tempo that they wanted the re recording to be at. That is a huge use of technology right there when you think about it, because it was easier to do that then than it is to do now. Because if you slow down a recording in digital and you speed it back up, you're not getting the full picture. You're getting slices of the picture you recorded, if that makes sense. Because they're it removes samples. You, can't, you don't speed up samples. It removes samples to get to the faster tempo, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, about that? I mean, I, I, I don't think, think they're. I yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily the, the whole picture, but I mean, I think that technology exists today. I mean, there's you can do that, you know, I'm sure in any DAW, but there's sure. like very speed and logic where you can do that. But but th there might be artifacts and stuff, but but you're right in that we don't have to deal with the tuning thing, right? Right. Um, in the same way, but yeah, in the same way, but the. The idea here is that the thing that really gets me, never mind a, you know, a performance aspect mm -hmm. of, of the Beatles, right? If there, it was a part, perhaps, but just how they used the studio as a creative tool. Oh, yeah. And really pushed it to the limits. I mean, especially, you know, you start getting into, you know, Sgt. Pepper or, or any of that, you know, post-touring kind of era Beatles, right? And you see just, yeah, so. Edited two different takes of a song together to make a, yeah. a complete take yeah. because maybe something went wrong in another take. That is technically overdubbing and splicing yeah. and doing all kinds right. of crazy it, things to get the complete picture of the song the way they envisioned it. That's using the technology to its fullest at the time that they had it. Yeah, and I think a lot of that was just, you know. Well, they didn't use auto-tune. Well, yeah, auto-tune didn't exist. Yeah. But if it had, <laughs> I bet they would they have used it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, but it, it, it's so, it, I think that the whole argument is that, like you, you mentioned, you said the word purist yeah. in the beginning there. And I think that is something that happens a lot. And, and I will probably make the same point later down in another point that mm -hmm. we're going to talk okay. about today. Sure. But it's the conflation of sort of like that purist mentality um, that that somehow makes the song better. Right. That, that's really the, the end of the line. It, it doesn't really matter how you arrive at, you know, the, the final product. It's the song that matters. Yes. Right? It, a song can sound great on, let's say, four tracks, right? And it can sound like shit if you have 150 tracks in your DAW, you know? It, it's, it, it's the song that matters, right? So how you get to the point um, of completion is almost irrelevant. But to think that you can do just, just because the Beatles did it on four tracks, which they didn't, but you know, <laughs> right. that, that, that somehow makes your song better is, is crazy to me. Yeah, don't ever compare yourselves to the Beatles, especially in a public forum where uh, it might be broadcast over airways of radio or television or cable or whatever. The moment you tend to do that, 
your career will tank. <laughs> it just it, is the way it goes. It usually doesn't famous, end well. Yeah, it doesn't end well. And I think the most famous case of that, was it Jesus and Mary Chain? Was that the band? I don't know. That came out know. and said that they wrote songs better than the Beatles. And shortly thereafter, they disappeared. <laughs> well, there's one way to, you know, get yourself talked about, right? Sure. You better back it up. It makes you sound I mean, stupid. I've heard other stories and stuff. I mean, um, if you have that as a benchmark when you're writing, but that's great, but you know, you, you might want to keep those opinions to yourself. And, yeah, it's you know, a good thing oh, to this, do. I think, yeah. It happened Go to ahead. me actually on a radio interview. Somebody said that I had done something, quote unquote, better than the Beatles. And I immediately <laughs> spoke right up and said, I did not say that. I have no, I, I don't even want to make that comparison. Because it's like, yeah. that, I, I don't even want to go there. And I, yeah, that was one of the most like frightening moments in my career when that went out on a national radio station and it was just kind of like, yeah, I don't want to say that I did anything better than, than the Beatles in that regard. Uh, however, yeah. interestingly though, mm -hmm. last week we had mentioned a band and then I mentioned someone's name who had played uncredited for that band. And I had a moment of conversation with said guitar player, mm -hmm. Steve Womet. Um, he, still talks to Eric Valentine. Okay. And had made a co comment about his early recording days and wanting to get the Tascam 688 when you were recording eight tracks on a cassette tape. Right. And Eric gave him a bunch of shit about it. Apparently. Really? Yes. So I thought that was interesting. And Eric's theory on it was, is that four tracks on a cassette, is already bad enough with how little tape you get. And now you're cutting that in half for the amount yeah. of tape that you're getting for yep. each eight track thing, which I thought was interesting. Cause then I brought up, um, Jeff Soto who recorded his first solo record love parade on a Tascam 688. And that thing actually sounds quite good. So, hmm. but Jeff really knew what he was doing. And I'm sure Steve knows, really knows what he's doing, but you know, it was just an interesting conversation to have after last week's episode with the guy and talking about Eric Valentine and all that yeah. in relation to, you know, how many tracks do you need and what quality do those tracks need to be? So Eric's Val, Eric's point about a 688 and eight tracks on a cassette tape is valid. There's no question that it's not valid. But it's also interesting that you can do quality recording based on the gear that you have. So uh, we'll get to that yeah. more of that later. But yeah, that that all kind of relates back to the Beatles doing things and using the technical prowess of everything they had. Plus, they had George Martin in the studio with them, who was a technical guru <laughs> on top of all of yeah. that, who helped twist and bend and do all of this stuff for them. So to say that the Beatles wouldn't use today's technology is just asinine. Don't even go there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, right. they'll use any, they would have used anything and everything they could get their hands on to get the song to the final point of where it needed to be. And yeah. And I, I think I've mentioned CJ Vanston on this before we, he and I had a discussion about it in relation to something we'll talk about further down the line in this episode. So let's move on to our next point, which is one I know is a real sticking point for you. It is. <laughs> and that's to always use subtractive EQ. Yes. Um, absolute nonsense in my opinion. Uh, and here's why. Yeah, we, we, I mean, we, we've talked about EQ and EQ techniques yes. in, in things in the past. Mm -hmm. Now there are certain, you know, certain people that, that adhere to this, right? As opposed to boosting only cutting. Yes. I've I heard of that concept. I don't follow yeah. it, but I've heard of it. 
Right. And uh, I'm sure that can work for some people. But my thought of it is that, well, you use subtractive EQ when you need to subtract some something out of the curve, sure. right? It's yeah. just use subtractive there. The, the idea that you shouldn't be boosting anything, I think, is – I think you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Um, or the Because face. let's say that or, – or anything, <laughs> right? But it's – you know, let's take the concept to an extreme, mm. right? It's like, okay, well, I want, I want more 10K in this. Okay, so in order to get more 10K, you would subtract everything under 10K to get the same result. That, that, you know, <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind th of silly. That's sort of it? like the math. Well, to me, and then I think that's in a nutshell. Um, now, the same could be said, of course, if you're only boosting. Yes. Right? If you say, well, I want, um, there's too much low end in this, so I'm going to boost everything over 100. Well, that sounds just as silly, doesn't it? So it sounds silly, but it could be done. It, but it's just well, it makes course, your work harder. That's the real problem. Well, it makes work harder. Yeah, I think when you have all of these sort of hard and fast rules, you end up painting yourself in a corner that is completely unnecessary. Yes. So you use subtractive EQ when you need to take something out, and you use additive EQ when you need to boost something. It's as simple as that to me. So I think to to only do one thing, nah, nonsense. It is utter nonsense. Always yeah. use subtract. You agree EQ. with me on that? Use whatever EQ you need, right, to make it yeah. sound awesome. And with yeah. that, we're going to no, we'll go ahead. Yeah. No, just the last thing I said before we go to break here is nobody's ever listened to a mix and gone like, ooh, he should have used more subtractive EQ on the kick. <laughs> You know, it's like <laughs> nobody cares. That you know? could very it, well be. I, I, you know what? I agree with you. I'm not listening to a mix and going, damn, he should have just used a lot more subtractive EQ in the 3K range. Huh? Yeah. Or, or just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I can totally hear that he didn't adhere to using, I think he boosted something in there. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, silly. Whatever. All right. <laughs> All right. And with that silliness, we're going to take a quick word break from our sponsor. All right, and we're back, and we're talking about never using amp sims. Yeah. You're not a real guitar player if you use amp sims, right? Isn't that the, the thing? And it has to have the – you got to have a giant tube stack, and you got to you know do all that kind of stuff. That's yeah. something that you adhere to loyally, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Why else would I be doing this if I wasn't using my giant Marshall stack? with 18 cabinets, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about that one kind of ad nauseum in several episodes about recording guitars. And yeah, no, I've never, maybe and maybe not, I have talked about this little anecdotal story um, where I had an artist that I was going to be co-writing an entire CD of music with and he wanted to bring in his stack to the mm -hmm. studio. And I said, you can bring it in, but we're not going to use it. <laughs> he kind of That's a real me. popular yeah. statement. You, 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 unless you know the guy really well, you might not want to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, and I knew him, but it was just kind of funny yeah. because he was like all gung-ho about it. And, he could, and then he's like questioning it. And so I plugged him in and I said, what sound do you want? And then I dialed it in within a matter of, you know, 
30 seconds to a minute and a half and he got to play it. And then he then made another comment of like, well, what happens if I roll off the volume on my guitar? Because obviously amps react differently based on how sure. you roll off volume coming from your guitar because it changes the input value of, mm -hmm. of what you're coming into the amp with. And I said, well, why don't you try it out and find out what you think? So he certainly does it. And as he's doing it, he's like, jaw starts hitting the floor. He's like, it's reacting just like a real amp. And I said, duh. <laughs> yeah. So there but, was that. Yeah. But in all fairness to that, to, to play devil's advocate, mm -hmm. um, early amp sims didn't necessarily do that. No, that's they, true. They it did didn't take a while you to know, get there. Right, so that they, they actually react differently and not just make the signal lower. They they actually reacted, you know. Um, yeah, it's a bizarre. It's a bizarre way. myth but, but today, in today's today's world. It's a bizarre myth to hold on to that, and it it's it same would hold true for bass sims too. It, it's it's sure when you're doing the guitar amp or the bass amp thing, the the whole concept of like don't use sims is completely dumb <laughs> asinine yeah silly yeah no i think it we've talked about this again, quite a, bit. a yeah, lot we don't but, but i think it, it it is no but i think it is a big mentality thing and it is a it's a very guitar player type of a thing as well i think uh but um yeah i would i would say again we can probably dispel that myth or at least um yeah not not carry that much weight with that i'm i use them all the time i know you do and yeah, we've probably already said too much, but there we go. <laughs> Let's move on to point next. Point next so is... this is... Point next is you need great gear to make something cool. I know I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I think um, we can sometimes let the gear hold us back when we do things. Um, and what I mean by that is, oh, I could... I could do this if I only had this piece of gear. Mm -hmm. I could do this if I only had this microphone, if I only had this interface, and if I only had these monitors, and if I only had this, this, and that. Yeah, it and goes that back becomes, to the couple of episodes that we've done, like the very first one, Know Your Gear, and then there was another yeah. one where we were talking about uh, uh, as, as gear in terms of the syndrome. gear acquisition, which also came the term of GDS, which was gear derangement syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jack yeah. and the code stock, man. If I just had this. Yeah. We need to know that guy. Um, I think, yes, of course, we need to have a certain amount of gear. If we're doing something, we need to have an interface and we need to have whatever, but a microphone um, again. Yeah, and, but this comes back to what I'm kind of hinting at there with the Beatles, right? That ultimately it is the song that matters. Yes. And no matter of gear is going to rescue a song that's not very good, you know? Um, so I, I think it's something that we use to you know, fantasize about if I only, and we do this in software all the time. Oh, if I only had a better orchestral string library, if I only had that, I would get more placements, you know? Yes. Um, it's it's no, the it's concept of polishing a turd when it comes yeah. to needing great gear. And if we go a step beyond the actual show Mythbusters, they actually yeah. did polish a turd. 
<laughs> oh, did they? <laughs> yeah, they did. They actually did an yeah. episode about polishing turds. Um, yeah. So it can be done. That doesn't make it better than what the original thing is. There's there's yeah. a movie uh, a couple of years ago, and I don't remember the title of it off the top of my head, but I do remember sitting through the credits as I am wont to do when I actually see movies in a theater. I'm one of those weird guys that sits all the way to the very end of the credits until they're done. Yeah. And you can hear like music that either is from the movie itself or going to be on the soundtrack of the movie. And they had this song by a guy that was literally recorded on a boom box and it yeah. fits so perfectly for what the, movie was and for what the sound of what was needed for that movie and it fit perfectly so there you go you got a guy singing and playing guitar into a boom box now i'm quite sure that it went to a mixing guy to kind of tweak a little bit of the eq and then it went to a mastering guy to kind of finalize all that but there was no separation it was a boom box recording that was it. And it worked perfectly for the situation. So that's where it becomes that thing of like the gear you need, you don't need technically great gear, but what you need is great song. And then you need the wherewithal to get the right sound for that song. So would something like an Ariana Grande pop song sound awesome on a boombox, you know, mono recording? Who knows? Could she yeah. pull it off? I bet she could. However, that doesn't mean everybody else could. It it really comes down to the players you got playing and how you're manipulating that playing once it's going down into some sort of tangible form. And yeah. I've made this discussion before with somebody where they wanted like the all the plugins in the world and and the greatest DAW and everything else and wanted to like go up against maybe someone like you or I recording in GarageBand with the standard plugins that come in it. And I guarantee that people that know what they're doing can take that and still make an awesome song compared to somebody that has like the greatest gear in the world and has no idea what they're doing. It, oh, you, sure. it's, it's like trying yeah. to polish a turd, so to speak. But at the same time, if you have like, all the greatest gear, but have no clue of what you're doing to use it. It does not mean what you're going to churn out is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, you have to know the gear that you're using, why you're using it and how to use it. Now, when you mentioned the, the, the boom box thing there mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the, let's say you used Ariana Grande, cause she pulled it off. Um, probably, but then we're getting into artistic choices here. Right. And sometimes you can pull that off and it can have sort of like a lo-fi charm about it and it can have a certain sound that can be appropriate in many situations. However, if you are John Williams and you're doing, you know, a Star Wars soundtrack, it's like, no, we'll, it's fine. We'll just have a couple of players come to John's house and we'll just have his boombox. Well, <laughs> that's obviously not going to work, sure. right? Um, so... But, but those are, you, you can make it happen. So the, the idea that I think both of us are kind of getting to here is, you know, even with big proponents, like learn to use your stock plugins. Yep. How does the compressor work? How does an EQ work? Or and how, what kind of reverb do you like? Um, 
just because you have 10 reverb plugins or, or 10 hardware boxes of reverb, it doesn't, it, that's not going to make or break your song. It's just going to sure. give you more confusing a palette to play with. So does the gear matter? Yeah, it needs to have a certain standard. But the good thing is that today it's like so much stuff is, is great. Even yeah. cheap stuff is great, you sure. know? So I would say um, this in terms of, of trying to blow that myth out of the water in terms of needing the great gear. Great gear can it. help, but it doesn't help unless you know how to use it. And to top it off in terms of like a secret for great producing or great mixing, I would think that the producer and the artist needs to think about what is the final product supposed to sound like mm -hmm. and work backwards from there to understand what items you need to get to that final product. Because if you start off with no clue of where you're going, it's not going to help not knowing what you need to get there. So you kind of need to know what the end result is supposed to be in order to work your way to getting there. And then that will help determine what gear do you need in order to make that happen. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's, very, that's a very, very good point. I heard, I think it, it was in one of Pensado places, Dave Pensado mm. was talking about, yes. uh, and he did the analogy with cooking. Mm -hmm. He's like, you need to know what, what you're going to do with audio when it comes in. He said, you don't just go into a kitchen and not have any idea what it is that you're going to make and just start throwing shit into the frying pan. You know, <laughs> you have an idea that, well, I'm going to make this dish yes. and then you choose the appropriate ingredients. It, it's, it's kind, it sounds like a dumb analogy, but it no, really, a, really works because if we does. take that mindset, mm -hmm. right? If, uh, yeah, I'm going to do a, um, a modern production of a black metal album, right? Okay, uh, so I'm gonna go and get some uh, tele guitars. I'm gonna go get some synths. No, no, you're not. You're not gonna get any of that. Like, well, you, you're you gonna get some... a singer that sounds like Tom Jones too. That'll really yeah, it, it, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so so you know the, the gear and you, in that case you need you know you know make make sure they have like super high gain guitars. You get it tune your drums up and all this kind of stuff. You might need triggers and a good drum library, whatever, right? But, but you have to choose that. That's a different tool set than if you're making a, um, you know, a, a modern pop track, right? Yeah, those different tools. So you or need to know what you, what you have. Right, yeah, anything, right? But um, to sit and worry about, oh, I don't have the latest um, SSL console plugins. So, who cares? You know, <laughs> so it, wait a minute. It doesn't what matter. are you talking to console plugin? I don't have the latest SSL, damn it. <laughs> yeah. And I right? need it. No, I can. Yeah, I can. Yeah. It, it, it really, really confuses. I understand it, but, but it, it blows me away the argument. You see this on like forums all the time. It's like, well, does, does this console emulation sound better than another company's console emulation? Uh, does that sound more like an SSL? Does this sound more like a, an 1176? It's like, well, who cares, really? Mm -hmm. Like, does it sound good to you? Do you know how to use it? That, that's all that really matters. So uh, the other stuff, that's for the marketing department. Let them work with that, how to yes. sell their gear. But uh, know the gear that you have and 
go back to episode yeah, one. The, <laughs> yeah, check exactly. That episode yeah. out. We talked about yeah. it ad infinitum, and I'm gonna like snip you in the bud right now. So let's move on to Friday Finds. What do you got for us, Chris? I uh, have been really, really busy with uh, a lot of tracking, but I did come across a really fun, now keyword there is fun, an esoteric <laughs> plugin from, from a company called Audio Thing, uh-huh. and they have a plugin called Wires. Wires. And what does Wires so, do? Wi- wires is actually in, an emulation of sorts of Cold War era Soviet spy recording technology. What? So they, yeah, they have <laughs> they have many. What? <laughs> say what? Um, yeah, it, it emulates that sound that spies would use to record meetings and audio and all this kind of stuff. So it okay. has this wonderful sort of lo-fi sound going to it. So it's very much like an effect. It has. Um, degradation of audio and delays and things like that. It, it's a really, really fun, cool tool. Does it do dropouts as gonna... well? Yeah. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Wow. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's go check it out. Audio thing. They have a functioning demo. It's fun. Is it something that you're going to use in every mix? No. But it <laughs> it is really, really cool. And if you right. – um, yeah, wires, audio thing. What do you, what do you got for us? I am going with the playback functionality of of life at this point, and it is not a mixing tool. It is Spotify has just announced that they are doing a hi-fi tier, which means that they mm. will be streaming lossless versions of files. Uh, they call it, uh, as Title used to think of saying, "We are CDR quality audio kind of thing." Mm-hmm. Well. Spotify's announced they're getting into that game. They're going to create a hi-fi tier. It will cost $14.99, which means it's $5 more than the standard $9.99 for your regular premium account. Uh, Does that mean it's translating to artists getting paid more for a stream? I have no idea. They haven't announced it, and I realize there's a lot of people out there, Spotify's a devil, but I'm not one of those people. I I think Spotify's great. I think Apple Music's great. I think Tidal's great. I think Deezer's great. I think they're all great. Uh, you're able to play a plethora of music for uh, one monthly fee, usually around $9.99, uh, unless you're going for the high audio tier. So welcome to the club with Spotify for their hi-fi tier that's coming soon. Uh, I guess cool. they join the ranks of Tidal and, and Amazon Music, because I think Amazon does that as well. So... And you know, right. the, the, probably the now defunct Ponos system from uh, Neil Young, because he was trying to go for the whole high uh, high definition audio thing with his little player. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, so Spotify is jumping in with the hi-fi audio tier, which is cool. I'm hopeful that it means that it's as simple as flipping a switch with them and it's not a matter of distributors having to re-send audio files to Spotify because, boy, I send them 96K files, so I'm hoping, or, yeah, 96 <laughs> kilohertz files. Yeah, so I'm hoping I don't need in, to uh, re-upload those kind of things. So that'd be, but, yeah. yeah, we're going to need the 192. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> so we can get down to yeah. CD quality audio. Um, right, there you go. So, But it, it's yeah. a nice step forward because I would imagine in five to ten years from now or maybe less, who knows, uh, when 
broadband speeds and, and mobile speeds get even faster and faster and faster, who knows? Maybe it will push the market to get to that level, but not for a while, I don't think. But yeah, we'll it's, it's yeah. Cool. I mean, that's another point where it's you know ultimately we'll find out if does the the average consumer really care? Yeah, that's and that's the hopefully tough part. we'd like to think so. Yeah, but we'd like anyway, to think they that do. But cool. Who knows? Yeah. So like yeah. Uh, yeah. So while we're still here and we've got your attention, attention please, go to the website inside the recording forward slash reviews so you can leave us a review because it does actually help us to get reviews on the podcast. And we certainly hope that since you're listening this long, you would do that for us. You can also go to inside the recording forward slash gift or any particularly any page on the website, and you can get signed up for our email list and you will get something in return for doing so, which is some plugin presets from the Slate company of uh, plugins and some from the Universal Audio plugins. Thanks to Chris and I, because we love doing those kinds of things for you. And you'll also get weekly reminders of what episodes and Tuesday tips have just happened in the past week to keep you up to date so that you don't miss future episodes of ITRS. In addition to that, send us an email to goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at Inside the Recording Studio with the word myth. And you get something fun back in your inbox this week. Plus, if you have a topic that you would like Chris and I to pontificate upon, send us a, well, it, you go to our contact page essentially on the website <laughs> and fill out the form and we'll take it into consideration to put it into rotation for a future episode. And with that, I'm going to say thank you for listening say see ya have a good one thanks for listening have a good one Jody